Hello, everybody. My name is Jake McGrail, and alongside me are Corey Branson and Mike Liu of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. Now, we've had a decent amount of highs in recent weeks. Unfortunately, this past weekend was filled with some more lows. Neither of our soccer teams were able to medal at nationals. Men's hockey had their winning streak snapped, and men's basketball lost their exhibition game against SFU. It wasn't all bad, though, as both cross-country teams did well at their nationals, and women's hockey picked up a pair of wins. We also have a couple brief interview clips from our men's rugby team from before they left for the Canadian University Championships. And we also have the second half of our interview with UBC golf coach Chris McDonald. And we are going to start our show with that today. So uh, here is the second half of that interview. and being a tournament organizer when you're looking for golf prospects what are the number one things that you're looking for um well i think you know at this level um i mean you're like i guess you're right like the head coach jobs changed a lot in the last five ten years there's a lot more responsibilities than just coaching the team like so essentially we're sort of general managers now we run events fundraisers team sponsorships you know organized to deal with uh uh, the first ever equipment deal in Canada uh, with Titleist this summer for our students. Um, you know, recruiting, as you say, instruction, admin, budgeting. It's, it's just, you know, it's just, it's a passion job. And uh, recruiting is one of those passions for me. Um, you know, it's, it's not a perfect science. Uh, someone that we're recruiting at 16, 17 is probably a very different person at 21, 22. But, you know, the thing I look for immediately because, you know, we, we, we want to have a competitive team is skill, like, you know, skill today in golf's really changed. Like, um, you know, we, we have access to PGA tour analytics, uh, or information, um, you know, driving distance, uh, accuracy, power control with irons, uh, you know, it's hard to gain, gain strokes from your putting. So you have to be a great ball striker now coming into college. Um, you know, our men's and women's teams, you know, we've got a lot of the top players, uh, and, and much of that comes from the fact we, we hit the ball with power. Um, we're a bit longer than many of the teams we play against. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't have to be able to control force and speed, but to have that extra gear when you need it on the par fives or on the long par fours or the windy days, it does help. I know our strength and conditioning department does a terrific job with our athletes, Matt and Callum. And, you know, I had a good meeting with them earlier this month. Uh, they were telling me that one of our students, Dylan McDonald is, you know, is one of the strongest athletes uh, at, at UBC. He's a, great leader for us in the gym so you know I'm fortunate you know I can look back at uh, players experience I've had on my team in the past um, and and kind of reflect on uh, characteristics that I'm looking for obviously communication skills uh, you know the ability to show empathy kindness you know that's a big part of it you know 90% of our team time is not in competition so you need good people first Uh, um, it's it's um, you know it's I invest a lot of time looking for these these students um, because it's it's so important the people I get to work with right so um, and you know I think also one of the things I look for is just when I when I do have these meetings is you know how how do those students treat their parents how do they talk to their siblings uh, because that's likely how they're going to be treating me and our staff and our administration so um, you know I, I know that the feedback from our from our team is that I am a good recruiter and. Um, 
And I, and I take a lot of pride and passion in that. I, I, they say that because I think they really love their teammates each year. And that's, that's something that's uh, very important to me. Awesome. I'd love to dive into this a little bit more with you. If you're talking about ball striking being a really important aspect for your team, I think that's something that we see all across the golf world right now. Professional tours at the amateur level, really valuing being able to bomb it off the tee, being able to hit it far with your irons and then clean up with your putter. Do you think, how do you feel about that transition that we're seeing in golf right now where I don't want to say that putting in a short game are becoming a dying art, but you know, Bryson DeChambeau and players like that on the PGA Tour that are making their game sort of just hitting it as hard and as far as possible. Do you think that's good for the sport? Do you think it's bad? Do you think it's pretty neutral? How do you feel? Yeah, I think I think it's good for the sport. I mean, I think, you know, all sports change and evolve over time. I think, you know, what's the the, the evolution in golf? Certainly, you know, when I started in golf, there weren't as many people playing golf. And now there's you know, it's one of the most popular sports in the world. We're seeing some fantastic athletes get into the game. Um, you know, you still need uh, accuracy. Your irons, you know, can't have a lot of dispersion. You still can't three putt. You still have to get up and down from high rough. So um, there's lots of ways to make golf courses, you know, very difficult for, for our level of player or PGA Tour players. But I, I think it's exciting. I think it's, uh, it's fun to see our men and women hitting um, par fives and two um, I think it's fun to see them hitting like short irons into holes that, uh, you know, back in my day, we'd be hitting four irons in and they've got nine irons. I, I think it's awesome. So yeah, it's just, just an evolution in the game. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of other ways that, uh, superintendents and, uh, can, can, uh, you know, protect a golf course on score side. So, uh, sloped greens and, and, you know, different rough conditions and, and, uh, contouring. So, uh, I think it's exciting. I, I love that our guys have really embraced it. I, I love that they've, they're, they're very passionate about spending that time in the gym and being, being healthy. And uh, yeah, I think it's cool. Awesome. I love hearing the optimistic outlook on it. I think a lot of commentators in the sport and uh, maybe been around for quite a while, maybe a bit stick in the mud in terms of their perspectives on the game can be a little bit negative. So I'm happy that you're open and uh, optimistic about the future of golf and where the sport seems to be headed. Yeah. I mean, as a college coach, I'm like, you know, that's part of my role is to be looking for new things, new, new ways to be better in our sport. So I've always been that way. I've always been looking for, you know, whether it's Doppler technology or other things that we can integrate into what we're doing to be better. So, I mean, I think on the PGA tour, like, you know, there may come a time where there's a golf ball that, you know, um, you know, has a certain, um, you know, like they do in IndyCar racing where the engines all have to go, you know, be, be the cars have to be basically be, have to be the same speed. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I could see there being some restrictions on the, the professional side, but certainly on the amateur side, I, you know, for you know, players like yourself who are just getting into the game or like, or, well, you've been playing for a while, but you know, other players are really getting into the game, but you also want to be able to go out there and hit a really long drive and have some fun with it. So I think the the technology that's coming in is a real advantage. Awesome. I hope I didn't offend your golf game there. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I full full disclosure probably deserves to be offended on a lot of occasions. So. No offense. <laughs> All of ours do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've done a great job talking about the team so far. I'd love to chat about your personal journey here to UBC's golf program. From what I understand, you were a multi-sport athlete back in high school. You hadn't yet been tied down by one discipline. So how did you decide on golf above the others? And how did you decide on golf as a career? 
Yeah, I was lucky. I grew up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and um, you know there was a golf course down the street from from where my house was. So just you know, I, I took advantage of um, getting out to play there in the summers. Uh, you know, I played uh, pretty high end hockey, so I had a hockey scholarship in high school and and a golf scholarship. So I I did um, really enjoy that experience. I um, I, I love playing every sport. I, I was really into volleyball, basketball, uh, badminton, you name it. I just love the competition of things. And so I think that's kind of where uh, the coachings come from. I think I see things from a lot of different angles, um, not just from the golf perspective, but golf is definitely my number one passion. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's just a fantastic game. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, from on my background personally, like, um, I guess I could talk about lots of things, but my, uh, I, I sort of found my way into the PGA of Canada. Um, it had a great education system that was, you know, really focused on coaching. Uh, Henry Brunton was one of the leaders. He was the national team coach at the time. And uh, then I ran into Marty Zlotnick, who uh, uh, once I took the job at UBC in 2001, I, I, I spoke to Marty and he and the Thunderbird Golf Society were very passionate about trying to find, um, you know, a coach. They'd they, they transitioned some coaches and uh, they were looking to, to find someone and bring some stability to the program. And uh, I was really excited. I, I started, they asked if I would like to coach the men or women. And I, I, I was 27 at the time. So I, I thought I could start with the women because I thought at that time I could make a difference in, in the training. And I, we won the U S nationals three years later. So that was the start of it. And then they asked me to um, coach the men as well. So since about 2005, I've been coaching the men. And, what influenced that decision? You mentioned you grew up in New Brunswick. You went to university. Is that you went to university there as well? Pardon me. What influenced you to come out west and take your talents out here? Um, yeah, talents would be a stretch, but uh, <laughs> I uh, um, I was working. I was working when I was at UNB. I was working in the Gaspé teaching golf. Um, there's a great community up there, um, and uh, so I was very passionate to get involved and and do some teaching. Uh, when I graduated UNB, uh, there wasn't there was an opportunity, as there still is, with um, university students in the Commonwealth, you know, to take a one-year concurrent visa in New Zealand and Australia. So I I took that. I spent um, about seven months in Nelson, New Zealand, and then I went over uh, to Australia and spent a few months there. And um, I started working, I was very fortunate. I got working for a, a family, the Manfredi family, Stefano Manfredi, who ran a restaurant called Belmondo, which was one of the best in the world at the time. It was in Sydney, Australia. And my father had some health issues. So I actually came back to Fredericton for a month. Uh, but when he recovered, I went back to Australia. And uh, I think I had a month left on my visa. And they said, well, we'll give you five years uh, if you want. Uh, and I don't know why they did that. But I, I took the five years and I ended up spending... Uh, four of them uh, in Sydney working for the Manfredis. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, and it, it was it, honestly, it was just a fantastic experience. I, I, I should share that. I, I worked uh, uh, with, with um, you know, just working in that, that sort of energy of, of the restaurant business was just fantastic. I ran their, their bar. We had events for Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise and Baz Luhrmann. And uh, it was just a really uh, neat experience that uh, I'll never forget. And but, but I was really missing golf. I was missing the training, um, the discipline of it. Um, so when I came back to Canada, I moved to Victoria. I went to Royal Roads and, and completed a golf management program. 
Uh, I had to do one year uh, to uh, for my PGA, uh, which is the Professional Golf Association, uh, to get my degree in that. Then I went to Whistler North and Whistler, uh, ran the Sea to Sky Junior Tour, which produced a lot of NCAA players, including uh, Ashley Zibrick, uh, who's a PGA uh, director of golf now at uh, Shaughnessy. So it's a it's a small world, and uh, you know now my my children uh, are here, and uh, my my wife. Um, my wife and I reconnected. Um, she she came out uh, from Montreal to the to be part of the bid process for the 2010 games. So the city's uh, home now, and uh, certainly we love Vancouver. Awesome! Quite a journey then, all across the world for you. Yeah, I spent uh, spent a lot of time traveling. I, I spent some uh, time playing professional golf in California and Arizona as well, which I loved, and 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 also in BC. Nice. You mentioned Victoria. That's my hometown. So. You've won some brownie points with me. I appreciate it. Oh, that's awesome. It was, it was really great to spend a year there. And, um, you know, it's just a fantastic place to be like for golf too, as you know, there's so many good golf courses there and uh, we had quite a bit of access and, you know, a good at that time, like uh, where our campus was a good quiet place to study. So it uh, made a lot of friends there connected uh, with a lot of people that are men and women that are still in the, in the business and the, in the golf business, the PGA business here in, in BC. So it was a, uh, in Alberta. So it was a, a really valuable time for me. Awesome. Now you've been head coach of the teams here since 2001, as you mentioned, you've won NAIA championships, Canada West championships, national championships, plenty of individual coaching awards. How do you personally stay motivated after you've essentially won it all? Well, I, I guess like when you're like a younger coach, like I think it's important, you know, to win or, you know, the students, the department, they want confidence that you're doing the right things. So I guess you're like, that was always exciting to go through that process. And, um, you know, we, we brought 27 nationals to, to UBC, both NAI and golf Canada championships since that time. And I think like UBC golf is like a, it's a pretty special team. Like um, I think it's a, it's a team that sort of delivers high value in the way we play. And, and it's been, you know, good value for, um, you know, I think for the faculty, the students at UBC and, um, you know, we raise a lot of our money privately. So, you know, all of this has been been very valuable, I think, to UBC. And but from a personal standpoint, you know, I as you've asked, like I realize that what I do is a service job in every way. Like I'm here to support the students on their golf journey, to listen, to connect. And um, it's just a job that gives me a lot of joy that way. So, um, you know, it's not hard to stay motivated at all. Like, you know, every day the students are pushing. They want new things. Um, there's a lot of growth. Um, like there's always new things coming down the pipe with this job. Also, like, you know, when I recruit someone, I only really have them for four or five years. So, um, you know, I really have to give my best and give my all to each one of those students that comes in. And, you know, I feel a real responsibility to that, especially to those that really engage in it, really want to, you know, excel and win championships and be part of it and really get their game to the like high-end amateur level or professional level. We certainly have a lot of professional players now out there playing and uh, that's just exciting uh, to be part of their journey and right now you know I'm supporting a capital project which is to build a golf performance center on campus like we have a we have a donor a great guy named Ken Woods who's helping us and you know we have many people in development who are active on this project it's uh, it would be certainly a great win for the UBC community and students you know uh, it's it's not just for varsity it's something that our students at UBC uh, would would have access to we'd be able to run academies and camps out of it uh, it's a pathway project so 
you know, there's, it's not just uh, what I do isn't just about championships or, um, you know, that, that kind of thing that, I mean, that's obviously part of it. We want to be, we want to have winning teams, but there's, there's always things going on that are, that are driving me to grow and learn. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about the job. Awesome. Great to hear. And I'm sure there are plenty of coaches out there that would benefit from having your similar mindset. So that's uh, it's awesome that you treat it as a service job. Now we, fo- we know you folks are returning to action in the spring, uh, but as of the time of the recording of this interview, we don't yet have a public schedule. Any updates you can share on the teams and the events they'll be playing in come 2022? This is, this is probably the only uh, sentence that my team is going to you know, tune in to listen to. <laughs> so they definitely <laughs> want to know uh, when we're playing and where we're playing, but you know, I can share that we'll be playing a tournament that we're co-hosting in March uh, in Las Vegas with uh, with a with an NAI school. Um, we know we'll be playing a couple times. Uh, we'll play our regular, our, our final regular season uh, events in the CCC. One's at Creekside Golf Course in Salem. That's a course that used to host nationals, so it's a really good course. We'll be down in Southern uh, Oregon at uh, Oregon Tech's. Uh, uh, they're hosting the CCC Conference Championship, so that'll be the end of April. Then we'll have, uh, pretty excited about this, we're going back to TPC Deer Run, which hosts the John Deere Classic, a PGA Tour Championship um, in May for the men's side. And then we're back in Oklahoma for the uh, NAI Women's Championship. So, you know, it's very exciting, a very exciting time for our students. And hopefully the Golf Canada Championship will also get going as well again. And I, I, I expect uh, we'll, be, we'll be doing that, uh, uh, you know, May or late May or early June of, of 22. Um, obviously, you know, costs are going to limit our schedule maybe by an event or two this spring because we did have to fly to Seattle uh, to play those events and to do all the testing procedures um, that obviously hit our budget this fall. So we're, we, we want to manage that properly, but we also have two great teams and want to give them an opportunity to give those students an opportunity to, to you know, um, get in position that they feel like they're, they're going to be ready to go and and uh, and win the nationals potentially this year, or at least get in the get in the mix of winning, which is the fun part. Right now, both our teams are ranked uh, third in the NAI, so that's a very high ranking. They've done a great job to get there this far. Yeah, that's fantastic. And playing at Deer Run, that's a great opportunity. Hopefully, nobody has any uh, David Hearn missing a five foot birdie putt to win a playoff moments, but. Yeah, I think luckily David's out of eligibility, so I won't, I won't be recruiting him to play in our five spot for that. We're going to go with uh, go with our T-Birds for sure. <laughs> probably, a, probably a wise decision on your part. You brought up yeah. some bad memories for me there. Yeah. Um, uh, finally, Chris, chat. let's chat hypothetically just for a second. Let's say a golfer asks you for one piece of advice right as they're about to tee off 54-hole lead at the Masters, the biggest moment of their career. What's your cream of the crop, number one, pièce de résistance, tidbit of coaching wisdom that you'd share? Well, let, let's just say that I hope someday uh, that happens where there's a UBC golfer in that position to bring a green jacket to campus. That would be incredible. I mean, I've been, I've been uh, like pretty fortunate to coach in many of those situations, like where there's one round to play or had some importance. Or I remember in the Canadian Championships in 2019 in Ontario, we were you know, we hadn't led um, that four round event on either the men's or women's side. Um, and we won the men's one in a playoff and, and we won the women's one. Um, Shania hit a beautiful shot up the hill and made a great putt. Uh, they're both our current captains, Ethan and uh, Shania. They led us back in those instances. And, um, you know, 
those are the days that those are the, the things like to get into those moments. It's like the reason why we coach, right? It's why we're in the business. We want that pressure. Uh, we want our players to show their skills and like embrace those opportunities in those moments. So they're pretty exciting when you, if you ever had an opportunity to uh, close out the masters, but the message would usually be pretty simple, which is trust your training, you know, do the things that got you here. So, you know, by that time you'd have an airtight game plan because it'd be the fourth round. So just about managing the human side, the emotions, expectations, you know, not getting ahead of yourself. They obviously would have the, the skill to be there. So, um, you know, but there's temptations at any level to kind of change or adjust, like, because it would be a new feeling of pressure, but uh, it would be more about keeping things simple and, and uh, focusing on what you can control and, um, you know, try to give yourself as much peace as you can in those moments, but have that energy that, that you need to get through the round. So, but, you know, win or lose, those are the, the best days. There's so much learning and growth that, that comes from those experiences. So um, anyway, hopefully someday it'll be a T-bird in that position. Yeah. I think we're all hoping for that. That'd be incredible. All righty, Chris, that's everything I got for you. That's going to bring our interview to a close. Thank you again for joining me today. We always love hearing from those behind the scenes that help make the magic happen. So this was a great opportunity for me to chat with you. Best of luck with the rest of the season as well. Thanks, Corey. Uh, thanks for all the time and, and uh, not just uh, giving golf, um, you know, all this airtime and, and taking an interest, but all the sports at UBC, uh, it's, uh, it's really fantastic, your, your interest, and we're very grateful. Yeah, we love doing it. This has been Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joined by Chris McDonald, coach of the UBC men's and women's golf teams at our school. Thank you all for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Again, thank you to Chris McDonald, the UBC golf coach, for coming on the show. We're now going to take a quick break for ads and PSAs. And when we come back, we will cover everything that happened in the last week for our Thunderbird team, starting with soccer. Mass evictions. Mass rent evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. The haunting debut album Black Moon by Civic TV provides a cinematic backdrop, a modern-day symphony of the dark and light that is our collective reality. Take a listen to Black Moon, now available via Flemish Eye Records and on all streaming platforms. And we're back, and I'm going to throw it over to Mike to talk about our women's team at the Soccer National Championships. Now let's get that all kicked off. Their national championships just finna wrapped up this past weekend uh, in Cape Breton, all the way on the literal other side of the country. And first, first up was your quarterfinal match against the Acadia Axe women. Yeah, tough-fought match for them, both teams trading blows in this one. UBC looked dominant in the first half, but Acadia really pushed back in the second, and then just more back-and-forth play all the way through. Yeah, it was 0-0 after the first 45. Aislinn Phillips opened the scoring for UBC in the 50th minute. Acadia would then knot the match back up thanks to a 68th minute goal by Jaden Boudreau. That was just the sixth goal that UBC had conceded all year up to that point. And of course, 90 minutes wasn't enough to decide the match, and another 30 minutes and extra time didn't help matters as well. So penalty, uh, the penalty kicks were what came up. Uh, Catalan Tolnai, Sophie Damien, 
and Daniel Steer, uh, the leading, the last remaining leading goal scorer in Canada, <laughs> of Canada West in the national championships. Uh, they scored their spot kicks while Emily Moore stopped two out of three, uh, gave UBC the slim 2-1 victory to send them through to the semifinals. Yeah, their next opponent was the McEwen Griffins. That's a team they beat 2-0 in the Canada West semifinals just two weeks ago. Unfortunately, though, this time they would have a different result. Yeah, the defending national champions, they were deadlocked with the Griffins through 90 minutes, again going to extra time with the game going back and forth. UBC, they only managed three shots on target this entire game. Moore needed to make six saves for them and Corey for the final time. We have to have it one more time. Moore? Pride of Esquimalt High School. <laughs> Man! <laughs> what am I going to say? What's going to be my thing on the radio now? Now that, now that oh, she's have to figure it one out. of the graduating seniors of this team, obviously a great career for, for UBC. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I had to have that one more time. But just unfortunately for the Thunderbirds, they would regret not being able to get that, that opening marker. As in the 96th minute, header by Megan Lemoyne off, the, off a corner found its way past Emily Moore, Pride of Esquimalt High School. That'll be the deciding school. Uh, the McEwen Griffins then completed their Cinderella run the next day by claiming the national championships against the, un- the undefeated, until that point, Trinity Western. That's pretty crazy run beating both UBC and Trinity Western back-to-back. It's two teams that, like, they w- were absolute juggernauts in this conference as okay. well. Okay, Mike, we need to work on this a little bit. When Moore allows a goal, <laughs> you don't say five of a squad on high school. That's not the point. <laughs> As for UBC, though, they played again on Sunday in the bronze medal game. They had the upper hand throughout the match against the 2016 national champions, Laval, the Rouge AR. But once again, they couldn't find their way onto the score sheet. Yes, for the third time in a row, UBC went to extra time. For the second time, they went to penalties, 0-0 the whole way through. Both goalies made six saves in this game. Unfortunately, penalties did not go their way this time. Laval beat the Thunderbirds to claim the bronze medal. That's only one goal in the three national games that all went to extra time. That's not great. You also have to consider that UBC's offense was one of the high points of this team, like, throughout the entire season as well. And, I mean, for the for the former, now former reigning national champions, it's a bit of a disappointment after such a strong season to finish fourth. But it's still a very proud, uh, still an accomplishment that they should be very proud of. So, well done, women's T-Birds, on a very, on a, on a pretty successful season. For the men's team, despite a promising start to their national campaign, they ended up falling flat as they lost both of their games to finish seventh. First was a penalty shootout to host Carlton in the quarterfinals. This team just will find ways to drop points. This is a team that conceded three times in the last five minutes to tie the UNBC Timberwolves. Great team. They tied them 3-3. to They also... Scored in the last minute in their last home game, the last home game of the season, with all the fans and fr- fans, uh, fans, friends, family in attendance. They 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 scored in the last minute. Should have been a good goal. Uh, Should have been a good win. But no, they conceded on the very last kick of the game. The draw three three. This team has consistently found a way to draw points to lose games, and. We thought they'd turn a corner. I mean, winning the Candle West title is something that we're all very proud of. But in the national championships, especially when you're ahead to nothing, it, I, no words can express how, <laughs> how disappointed I feel personally from all of this. <laughs> the game started amazing against Carlton. They were up 2 nothing. They didn't allow a shot on target. They looked like the UBC of old. The UBC that I thought would be national champions. 
Nick Momotani, uh, Nick Fusel and, and Nicholas Momotani, they scored the two goals in that first half. I passed the Skip Bayless jersey onto Mike Blue. He has taken the reins My, today. Mike, Mike is not mad. He's just disappointed. Yes, exactly. All, all disappointment here. Jake, when are you going to have your Skip <laughs> That's when uh, something happens to the basketball teams, I guess. Uh, when, <laughs> I was going to say when Lincoln Rosebush has a bad game, but then you'd be Skip Bayless every week, and that would be very fun. <laughs> we, did, we just ignore those, and we, we, highlight, we highlight the highlights. Uh, unfortunately... After UBC got up to this 2-0 lead, they only had a single shot attempt for the rest of the game, including extra time, which meant they went 75 minutes, and they were outshot 11-1 to in that period. The Ravens, they scored twice in the second half to force extra time. No one scored there. It went to penalties. A lot of penalties for UBC teams here at the Nationals. The Ravens won the shootout 5-3. Their goalie, Kyle Potter, made a crucial save near the end. And that meant, instead of heading to the sem- uh, the national semifinals, or, or the finals, UBC would be playing in the consolation semifinals, where they faced the Laval, Rouget Or, uh, in a super a super back-and-forth game. At halftime, the Thunderbirds found themselves down 1-0, but then, of course, the offenses exploded in the second half, and not in the good way for the Thunderbirds. Yeah, three goals scored in the first 10 minutes of the second half. Tristan Nkogi tied the game in the 49th. Wasim Chowki of Laval made it 2-1 in the 51st. Then Marcus Kaiser tied it again in the 55th. Yeah, from there, sadly, Laval took the lead a third time. They never gave it back. Chowki scored a second in the 67th, and then Baptiste Toussaint added insurance in the 81st. Laval won 4-2. Not a, not a great time, uh... UBC versus Laval this past weekend. <laughs> Name a more iconic duo. UBC and losing in the national quarterfinals. <laughs> this is the second time in the last three years that this has happened. And this is a team that had loads and loads of talent. And they might never ever have a team this good on paper ever again. The last time they won a national championship back in 2013, which feels like ancient at this point. It's been eight years, so but they still have the most all-time. I guess we still have that to cling on, right? Yeah, I mean, if it happened before Corey was on the UBC campus, <laughs> so that's ancient history. Does it really count? <laughs> <laughs> oh, curse you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Enough of the pity party. Let's talk about something fun. Uh, a couple of airtight defensive performances from our women's hockey team got them back-to-back victories at home against the Alberta Golden Pandas. UBC finally came out on top in a tight affair in the first game, winning after two last-minute goals in the third, before cruising to a 4-0 victory in the second game. Elise Hugens, take a bow. The rookie netminder for the T-Birds saved 38 out of 39 shots. 39 shots is a lot, a lot of rubber to be facing uh, over the course of the weekend. And she grabbed her third shutout of the season already in that second game. She's undefeated in five starts with a 0.40 goals against average. And a .974 save percentage. It's That's unbelievable. I'm reading this, and it's just, those are incredible statistics. And after her lights-out performances, she was named Canada West Player of the Week. Yeah, game one, that was a comeback win for the Thunderbirds, as Hugan's only concession of the weekend put the team behind early in the second period. Ireland Perrot, however, provided a tying goal with five minutes to go in the frame to get the Thunderbirds back on level terms. Yeah, neither team broke through again until one minute was left in the game when Ashley McFadden finally snuck one past Pandas goalie Haley Oswald. Ryland McKinnon added an empty netter 30 seconds later, and the Thunderbirds won their first non-blowout since opening night. 
Game 2 saw the Thunderbirds return to their dominant blowout ways, as three goals in the first period meant this one was never really in doubt. Uh, Kareen Sandilands notched her first Canada West tally just two and a half minutes into the game, before Yoel Fiala and McKinnon padded the lead with their markers. I, I just gotta say, hockey consistently delivering the best names of any sport for, for just, <laughs> just in general... Especially here at UBC. We got some great names. Kareen Sandilands. Incredible. Amazing. Impeccable. <laughs> great work. <laughs> love, love that for you. Uh, Kenzie Robinson, she made it four at 14-13 of the second period. From then on, the Thunderbirds, they were able to rest on their laurels. They did have to continue to work hard defensively, though. They had to kill seven penalties in this game. I mean, they did it. But taking seven penalties, not ideal. They went 11-for-11 11 11 on penalty kill on the weekend, however. The women's team, now an impressive 6-2. They have broken into the national rankings for the first time this season. They're now ninth in the country. And now they're on the road in Saskatoon this weekend to take on the 5-1-2 and two Huskies. And how the mighty have fallen, our men's team, <laughs> after starting the year with a school record six consecutive victories, took a couple to the chin in Edmonton this past weekend. They played the Bears close. They lost 2-1 in double OT and 4-3 in regulation, but we can pump the brakes a little bit on dreams of an undefeated season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that, were, were, were we predicting an undefeated season? <laughs> I feel like it's especially hard in hockey given how many games they play. But in, uh, in game one, Carson Miller, his late first period goal brought the Thunderbirds even at 1-1. It was the last bit of scoring for over 45 minutes. Both teams had chances in the second and third, but UBC's Ryland Toth and Alberta's Taz Berman stood strong in their nets. Unfortunately, Alberta finally found the winner in double overtime as Ma- Matt Fontany, I'm going to go with that, very slickly took a pass <laughs> down low and undressed Toth for a tap-in on the far side. I would go with Fontaine. Fontaine? That's, that's personal preference. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see Fontaine. <laughs> it, I've it, never seen that spelling in my life. It is a strange spelling, but great goal by Matt Fontaine. It was, uh, Ryla Toth had a great game, but that was, uh, it was tough to watch. <laughs> yeah. That's a ooh, wow. moment <laughs> on the tape. Uh, anyway, game two saw the Thunderbirds come out firing early, but their early wave was broken by a strong second period response from Alberta. Chris Douglas at even strength and Scott Atkinson on a power play gave UBC a 2-0 lead after the first period, but the group was down 3-2 after 40 minutes following the Golden Panda rally. Alberta then extended the lead to 4-2 midway through the third, and though Jake Kreisky gave the Thunderbirds some more life a few minutes later, the host clamped down from there, leaving the road team to lick their wounds once more. And wow, what do you know? It seems like a struggling power play is a common theme among BC hockey teams. Uh, Let's talk about the Thunderbirds power play um, for a moment. They've been inefficient all season long. And while wins more more or less covered up their misplays, they really haven't had to depend on special teams. The losses make the issues a lot more obvious, as we've learned. Uh, The Thunderbirds were 1 for 14 over the weekend. And... When you, when you have 14 opportunities on the power play, you should be making at, uh, making at least more than one of them count. Um, the, the rate of the season is down to 8.1%, so very abysmal stuff from them. You'd expect their special teams uh, to be dogging it at practice uh, sooner, uh, the focus of their practices sooner rather than later. Yeah, it gets no easier for them either. Number two ranked Huskies, they're coming to town this weekend. Hopefully, though, the boys take this as an opportunity to make a statement, get back on the winning train, and show that they are a 
team to be reckoned with in the conference. And maybe they can send Mike Babcock home a little bit unhappy. So. <laughs> I don't want to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to cross country. Uh, although the Thunderbirds were able to win the Canada West uh, Championship crowns, the Thunderbirds finished fourth place in both men's and women's at the 2021 U Sports Nationals, uh, U Sports National Cross Country Championships, which were a charge across the plains of Abraham. <laughs> Very dramatic when you say they were held on the plains of Abraham. They were. <laughs> uh, Thomas Nobbs, he won the Canada West individual gold uh, a little bit back. He finished sixth individually at nationals with a time of 24 minutes, 41.4 seconds. The first Canada West athlete to cross the finish line on that eight-kilometer course. And he was named an All-Canadian for helping carry UBC to their best national finish since the program returned to U Sports in 2018. Uh, Tyler Dozy was 12th and Joshua Kazelge was 14th. They were the next best Thunderbird finishers, crossing the line 26 and 31 seconds back of Knobs, respectively. And they were both named to all Canadians as well. On the women's side, first year T Bird Mackenzie Campbell finished in 12th place individually with a time of 29, 20 minutes, 30, well, 20 minutes? 20, yeah, 29 minutes, 35 seconds, 0. 0.5, uh, which also earned her a 2021 All Canadian. Uh, fellow first years Zoe Dornspleet and Glenna Sim, they finished 17th and 22nd respectively, which resulted with you, with, which allowed UBC to finish with 124 points in total. UBC missed the podium only by five points, though, so not not that bad of a showing. Yeah, the host Laval Rouge Aor won both the men's and the women's events, while Western earned second for the women's, followed by Guelph. Great weekend for Laval. Good good stuff from them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, doesn't Lamo get tired hearing? <laughs> This is uh, the Canadian Cross Country Championships this Saturday in Ottawa. Not the U Sports Championships, but the non-university competition. It will be exciting to see how some of the T-Birds build on this past weekend and the results, as well as the results in the Canada West Championships. And already uh, some of the names I found on the entry list, and that include Spencer Hardy, Jay Viratuana, Dylan uh, Ulrich, uh, Jacob <laughs> Wadani. Tyler Dozy, Thomas Knobs, Kyra, uh, uh, Kira Gillette, and Jamie Hennessy. Uh, those are the only ones I could find listed under UBC Thunderbirds track club. And finally, before uh, we get to the men's rugby clips, for the first time since 2015, the UBC and SFU men's basketball teams played each other in an exhibition game for the Buchanan Cup in front of a sellout crowd of 1,600 people in Burnaby. SFU won 90-82. to This one was almost wire-to-wire for SFU. They were up by as much as 19 in this game. UBC, though, they did close the lead somewhat. Couldn't climb all the way back, though. Grant Audu had 15 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists, while Sukman Sandu led the team in scoring with 16 points, along with 14 boards. And then finally, Kyle Foreman, a Masters... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle Foreman, he is a Masters student. He last played for Boston University all the way back in 2016-2017. He's now a third-year eligibility for UBC. <laughs> sure, yeah. Made, made, made his first UBC start. He tallied 13 points and six assists. And now, well, the men's rugby teams right now, they're off in Kingston to play in the Canadian University Men's Rugby Championships. The top seed heading in. Uh, their first match against the Royal Military College just wrapped up in a 66-0 victory. Pretty big margin. Pretty good stuff. Uh, <laughs> we'll be covering all of that next week. But before they left, I managed to get a word with scrum half Jack Carson as well as coaches Curry Hitchborn and Sam Lyon. Here's what they had to say. All right, Jack, I mean, hey, it's good to see you back here with UBC, obviously coming off a pretty good run with the Canada 7 team. But right now, I mean, the focus is on Nationals next week. Just what, what are your thoughts just heading into next week? Um, I think as a group, we're all just very excited to kind of test out and prove what we've been doing all year, 
against the club teams out west and take it to the schools out at uh, Kingston there. And uh, I know we have a lot of guys who've never been to this Nationals tournament before, so a lot of our uh, young guys are looking to prove something. For sure. And I mean, you yourself having that experience playing with UBC, having having played that first year and playing internationally, I mean, do you feel that you're sort of a leader or that you set an example or just what, what do you bring personally going in? Uh, personally, I'm still just trying to prove myself to this UBC program because my first year I got hurt in our second game and I was out all year with a torn PCL, so I'm... I'm still uh, kind of a bit of a rookie to this program, so I'm, I don't really uh, see myself as, I guess, having, yeah, I guess, proven myself, so it's kind of a time for me to do that this tournament. Just one last bit, I mean, having played in some of the Coastal Cup games, I mean, did you feel that really helped you out, just being able to get into game action in, against teams that you normally wouldn't face on a university stage? Yeah, for sure. We are, uh, the great thing about the Coastal Cup is a lot of the best players from the broader club league that we play in all combined into one, so we, got a, we had a lot of high-level competition heading into this tournament, and so each weekend we were able to improve and make adjustments to what our team wanted to do, so I think we're definitely well prepared for this tournament. Thanks so much, Jack. Good luck next week. Thanks. All right, well, I mean, it's one, of, it's one week before Nationals. I mean, stuff, Coastal Cup just wrapped up here, so... Um, just some what are, what are some thoughts just coming right out of the, the competition and just one week to build off of it. Quality competition keeps us sharp. The Coastal Cup gave us that level where we have a firmer understanding of where we need work on. A big part of us moving forward was at the last national championship, our defense wasn't good enough. So this year we put a lot of focus on that. Having Sam Lyon in and able to help this year has been a massive, massive benefit. Sure, and coach, well, just what are some specifics you've done um, to really help address, to really help address the defense and sort of help them improve going into a huge competition? Uh, for, I think for us going into this, I think we needed to work a lot on on our positional play and and where we were setting uh, setting players around the defensive field and and being sure that we were able to protect the ground cover that we needed to. Um, is, is one thing we've kind of worked on. The, the physicality of, of rugby as it is, it's, it's obviously quite strong and we needed to get the boys to be able to be able to put their bodies and willing to put their bodies on the line and, and really get into the physicality and that hardness of the sport. This is a competition where UBC has historically been pretty good, but I mean, anything can happen, but sort of just what, what are you bringing in? Just what we're bringing in is recognition of how it got away from us last time. We got inside our own heads. We panicked. We allowed we allowed our referees to dictate the pace of the game. We let other teams get under our skin. We got too caught up in our own shit. This year, there's no shit. It's a business trip. We're going to work. Thank you so much, Coach. Thank you very much to the coaches and the player there who stepped in and talked about the men's rugby pro- program. Pardon me. <laughs> Quickly, before we duck out, just an update on the other sports happening this weekend. Canada West Championships in Edmonton for swimming. That'll be all weekend. Uh, the volleyball team's big games playing in Langley against Trinity Western. The basketball team's playing in Prince George against the UNBC Timberwolves. Otherwise, we've covered everything else. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news and stories is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Next up on CITR is The Shakespeare Show. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, and Mike Liu with contributions from Diana Hong. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.